Today is Monday, May 15th, and you're listening to the Morning Announcements presented by Betches Media. I'm your host, Sammy Sage, and the Morning Announcements is your daily five-minute breakdown of the headlines that isn't afraid to take a side and roast the most consequential reality show there is, our government. Despite the expectation that a flood of migrants would descend upon the southern border the moment the clock struck midnight on Friday, marking the expiration of Title 42, it turns out those predictions did not quite materialize. According to U.S. Border Patrol officials and shelter operators, the flow of people was lighter than they feared. But still, all is not settled with the Biden administration's handling of border issues. Migrant rights activists take issue with the limitations on who can apply for asylum such as the policy of quickly rejecting claims for most people who did not seek asylum in another country that they crossed through first. While a judge in Florida last week blocked the Department of Homeland Security from releasing migrants into the country without a notice to appear in immigration court, as has been routinely done by prior administrations to relieve overcrowding and to speed up the process. Meanwhile, in Congress, a bipartisan group of lawmakers in the House introduced a bill on Friday that would extend the government's authority to immediately expel migrants who attempt to enter the country unlawfully, like they were able to do during the pandemic, but for another two years. In New York City, there are plans to use shuttered hotels, including the historic Roosevelt Hotel in Midtown, in order to accommodate the anticipated influx of asylum seekers and provide housing. Mayor Eric Adams announced on Saturday that they will provide as many as 1,000 rooms in the coming weeks and that the city has now cared for more than 65,000 asylum seekers. Sometimes I just have to add a little hometown propaganda in here. That is especially true when we have stories like this next one. In New York on Friday, Daniel Penny, the man who put Jordan Neely in a fatal chokehold on the subway, turned himself over to law enforcement for his arraignment, where he waived the reading of his charges and was not required to enter a plea which is the case because he hasn't been indicted by a grand jury yet. His parents posted his $100,000 cash bail, and Penny turned over his passport. He is also not allowed to leave the state. If he's found guilty, Penny could face between two and 15 years in prison. His next court appearance is scheduled for July 17th. And like clockwork, Daniel Penny is receiving the Kyle Rittenhouse treatment, a campaign to raise money for his legal defense on the Christian crowdfunding site Give, Send, Go, which was also used to raise defense funds for January 6th rioters, has raised more than $1.8 million as of last night. He's also getting attention from high-profile conservative figures, with Ron DeSantis comparing him to the biblical Good Samaritan and Matt Gates calling him a subway superman. I mean, it certainly sounds like you would feel at home in Florida. The FDA has issued updated guidelines for blood donation, finally removing decades-old restrictions that prohibited gay and bisexual men from donating blood if they've had sex with another man in the prior three months. Instead, from now on, all potential donors will be screened with a new questionnaire that evaluates their risk for HIV based on sexual behavior, recent partners, and other factors. And now, only potential donors who report having anal sex with new partners in the last three months will be barred from donating until a later date. The FDA, which is hopeful about the policy's potential to boost blood donations, said these changes reflect the latest scientific evidence and bring the U.S. in line with current rules in the U.K. and Canada. Perhaps we could do that with our gun laws next. On Saturday, North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper vetoed a bill by the state legislature 
banning abortions after 12 weeks of pregnancy. However, due to the Republicans' newly minted supermajority in the legislature, following a defection by former Democratic state representative Trisha Cotham, they likely have the votes to override the governor's veto. Representative Cotham, by the way, was elected last year by Democratic-leaning residents in the Charlotte area after she ran on a moderate to liberal platform that was in vocal support of protecting the right to choice, LGBTQ rights, voting rights, and raising the minimum wage. She claims that she grew alienated from the party on issues like school choice, saying, quote, the modern-day Democratic Party has become unrecognizable to me. One could say that about Trisha's own views, couldn't one? As for the abortion ban in question, if the state legislature can successfully override the veto, it would take effect on July 1st and would decrease the time during which abortions can be performed from 20 weeks to 12, with exceptions for rape, incest, fatal fetal abnormalities, and to save the life of the pregnant person. For abortions before 12 weeks, the bill would require patients to have an in-person doctor's visit at least 72 hours before the procedure. It also includes $160 million of funding to support maternal and reproductive health, as well as paid family leave and adoption. Incredibly generous. Happy Mother's Day. Stay tuned for more on that soon. A former top executive at TikTok has claimed in a wrongful dismissal lawsuit in San Francisco that was filed on Friday that the Chinese government has maintained supreme access to data belonging to TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, including U.S. data. The lawsuit was filed by former head of engineering Yintao Yu, who said that ByteDance has, quote, served as a useful propaganda tool for the Chinese Communist Party. He also alleges that the CCP could access U.S. user data via a backdoor channel in the code, and that they had a special office or unit inside ByteDance that was sometimes referred to as the committee. The committee didn't work for ByteDance, but played a significant role in part by guiding how the company advanced Communist Party values. He added that ByteDance was responsive to the CCP's request to share information about users or to elevate or remove content at their request. And he specified that he saw the company promote content that, quote, expressed hatred for Japan. The lawsuit also states that TikTok is similarly positioned to exploit nationalistic sentiments in other countries, such as the US. And if national security isn't really your wheelhouse, the former exec also accused the company of scraping data and content from its competitors without users' permission, mainly on Instagram and Snapchat. Specifically, they would steal users' content and then post it to their own services using fake accounts. Now there is the real outrage. And for our final story today, in slightly less dramatic tech-related news, Twitter is getting a new CEO. Former head of advertising at NBC Universal, Linda Yaccarino, tweeted on Saturday that she has, quote, long been inspired by Musk's vision to create a brighter future. She takes over as advertisers have fled the platform, advertising revenue has plunged, and the company is down about 80% of its staff. So on the bright side, it would be hard to make things worse than that. Thank you for listening to the morning announcements brought to you by Betches Media. It's Monday, so that means I'm talking about Succession Episode 8 on the App Betches podcast feed with my friend and co-founder Aileen Drexler. Listen to us recap the episode, make our predictions, and pick last night's number one boy, our bore on the floor, and tell you who we think is out of the will this week. These episodes come out on Monday afternoons, and while you wait, you can also read our recap on Betches.com. Until tomorrow, I'm Sammy Sage, and now you know what the fuck is going on. Batches.